just the other day, I was watching an episode of a show called Running Wild. Anyone come across that? Running Wild with Bear Grylls? Nobody's seen it? Uh, maybe that's the American name of the show, but basically what happens in this show is that Bear Grylls, it is him, given that it's got his name in it, uh, Bear Grylls runs wild with, <laughs> with one or another celebrity Hollywood A-lister. A number of different folks have done it. Is it called something else in the UK? I don't know. Anyway, does it, a number of folks have done it. it I think the, 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 one of the key ones, he did it with Barack Obama after he'd finished his time in office. Uh, but the one I saw actually was, was Bear with Ben Stiller, who I know actually is a good friend of his. In fact, Bear brought uh, Ben to a, a church service uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, but really the idea of this is that this, this Hollywood A-lister, whoever it would be, has the adventure of a lifetime in a couple of days with, with Bear Grylls. They're taken way out of their comfort zone. And it, I guess it's a journey in, in many ways of self-discovery. As they go out of their comfort zone, they, they go into sort of these rough terrains and, and they have to find out new things about themselves. And they're also, uh, in the midst of all this, they have to discover and use tools and methods that they've never had to use before. Of course, all the tools that they use are Bear Grylls branded tools, which is helpful. The key in this environment, though, for these people who are way out of their comfort zone and in this journey of discovery, this adventure, the key thing is that they follow Bear closely. See, they're doing things like jumping out helicopters into the water, abseiling and all the other stuff as well, that without, um, without Bear's help, his direction, uh, without being able to follow him, they really would have no hope of thriving. In fact, their very survival would be in danger. I think the metaphor of adventure, this metaphor of adventure is a really helpful one when considering the spiritual life. It's a really helpful one when thinking about what it means to follow Jesus. But I don't know about you, but when I look at the church across this nation, and I think when lots of people outside the church look at the church, what they don't think is, I must go to the church for an adventure. I think actually the church in this land is considered as being somewhere that uh, is stale, Predictable, boring, dull. And I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. When Jesus calls the disciples, whether it's Peter, James, John, or one of the other 12, whether it's one of the 72 men and women who he called to himself, and when he sent them out, his vision was that they join him on the adventure of a lifetime. That the things that he did and was about to do, they would themselves do. Now I grant you, there wasn't any abseiling in the Gospels. There wasn't any cave walking or cliff diving, but healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, preaching the Gospel, that stuff. Jesus did and all the other stuff as well. Even death and resurrection, the disciples, every disciple of Jesus will share. How 
How do we have the adventure that Jesus imagined? How might we share today in the adventure that Jesus imagined, which is called being a disciple of Jesus? It's very clear in the New Testament that that adventure is made available not just to the 12, to the 72, or to those who are around Jesus at the time, but to every single follower of Jesus. That is the meaning of Pentecost. That the Holy Spirit, who makes this adventure available, who empowers it, who is both the guide and the equipment for this adventure, that he has been made available to all. And so every follower of Jesus can be caught up in and brought along in the adventure of following Jesus. And the question I want to look at today is we continue this series called Basics and particularly focus on the Holy Spirit as we have been for the last three weeks, the question I want to ask today is how is the Holy Spirit at work? What kind of stuff will he be doing in the church? And I think it's a question we don't ask enough. How does the Holy Spirit work? We don't ask it enough. And so we can be unaware And that actually is the position that the church in Corinth, uh, the church to which Paul is writing this letter that Josie read for us so beautifully a few moments ago, that's the position the church is in. Open your Bible if you don't have it open. Going to be looking at this, not quite line by line, but certainly reasonably closely. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters... I do not want you to be uninformed. That's how Paul begins. Now there's a certain irony here. Because this community that Paul says that he doesn't want them to be uninformed about the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, this community thinks they're anything but uninformed. They have positioned themselves among the churches as the experts in spiritual things. They consider themselves to be spiritual pioneers, spiritual adventurers. And so they've misused some of the things of the Spirit for their own gain, for their own glory. But Paul, in a moment, sort of like a little jab, humbles them here by saying, look, I don't want you to be uninformed. Certain irony in his statement here. But actually, we as the church today mustn't be uninformed. And we might be uninformed. It might be that we're uninformed about the things of the Spirit because we're new to faith in Christ. Maybe like some of those groups of people in Acts, we've heard about repentance, we've heard about coming back to Jesus, but we've never yet heard about the filling of the Holy Spirit. We don't know the kinds of things that the Holy Spirit does, and for that reason, we might be uninformed. My hope is that at the end of today, we'll no longer be uninformed. We might be uninformed, but we might also be misinformed. We may have grown up in a church culture, if we've grown up in the church, that believes in the cessation, the ending of the things of the Spirit. That that somehow, and I don't know where this view is is based because it's certainly not based in any strong scriptural warrant. In fact, I defy anybody who's grown up with this teaching to present a single scriptural text that possibly supports it. But some have said that the gifts of the Spirit cease being available after the apostolic time. There's just no evidence for that in the Bible whatsoever. And in fact, if we look through church history again and again and again, we see men and women, young and old, working with the things and being filled with the Spirit. And as they do, uh, being used by God as vessels for the things of the Spirit. 
Some of us, though, in that area have been misinformed. Some of us might have been misinformed or, or informed in a similar way to the Corinthians to prefer one gift over another. To see one gift as, uh, or one manifestation, uh, maybe to use different language, as the test case of salvation. And certainly, uh, we don't hold to that teaching here. The Holy Spirit is available and works in different ones of us at different times in different ways. But perhaps another way that we've been misinformed is, is to consider the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is pretty common. If the first two we'd say no, that well, we haven't seen those. I think this one's pretty common. We see them, the things of the Spirit, as the preserve of the spiritual superhero. Right? So the man of God... Or the woman of God. Well, she might do these things. And God might use her or him in this way. But little old me. Little old me, a slug. Woe is me, a worm. How could God use a slug or a worm like me? There are no spiritual superheroes in the kingdom of God. There are only ordinary people. Broken people like you and me. And if God won't use broken people like you and me, there is no other person, people for him to choose. This is not about the spiritual superheroes, the roving evangelist or the preacher or the healer. This is about the whole people of God. What does Paul say? Just as a body, verse 12, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. Every part of the body, church, matters. Every single part. You might say today, I am just an appendix. What role could I have? A spleen. <laughs> God has a use for every part of the body. You spleen. The Holy Spirit will fill you today and you will find your place. Okay, I need to move on. <laughs> the spleen wasn't in the notes. <laughs> Part of this though, this spiritual superhero thing, I think comes from a misunderstanding of the scripture. And I want to clear some stuff up today. The first thing I want to clear up is the idea, well, just to work in this idea that there are spiritual superheroes. The first thing we see here is that the uh, manifestations of the Spirit of God are all about Jesus. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. This is about worship, Paul says. Therefore, I want you to know, no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. There's a suggestion here that was happening in Christian gatherings or outside of them. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Do you know the reason that the Holy Spirit operates in the church in gatherings is to bring glory to Jesus. Not to bring glory to any one person except Jesus. So if, if the Holy Spirit works through you and, and, and there's a manifestation of prophecy or healing or whatever else it is, that is not about you. It is about Jesus. We're not supposed to come away from these gatherings and say, wow, as I've heard, wasn't the prophecy that Bob gave? Isn't wonderful? Isn't Bob wonderful? Bob is a fictional character, in case you were wondering. No, we're supposed to come away thinking, isn't Jesus wonderful? That's the purpose of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It's the first thing we need to understand. 
But I think we're also at times led astray by a misunderstanding of some of the language here in 1 Corinthians 12. And, and we see it in the first line, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now the actual word there, I think we have a slide for this. Yes, the actual word is pneumaticone. Uh, it literally means spirituals. There is an adjective here, a describing word. There is no noun, no thingy word. So because there's no, and and pneumaticone, we see the word pneuma, which means spirit, from which we get things like pneumatic drill. Uh, Pneumaticone, there's no uh, noun. And so what uh, biblical um, scholars do this to provide a noun, they have to input one. Because literally it it reads, uh, now concerning spirituals, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now that doesn't read pretty very well in English. So we have to impose one, and three different options, uh, broadly speaking, three different options are available to us. Next slide. The first is, does it mean spiritual people? I think there's decent evidence for this. Certainly all the way through 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying to different people, you all think you're spiritual, don't you? And so in 1 Corinthians 12, he comes back to those people and says, well now, concerning spiritual people, I don't want you to be uninformed. There's a corrective here. That's possible, certainly. Spiritual gifts, that's the one that's used here in the NIV. Is this about spiritual gifts? Evidence for that would be that in verse 4, he uses the words gifts. But nowhere in the New Testament does Paul use the word spiritual and the word gifts next to each other. And so it's possible that that Paul's referring to spiritual gifts, but it's possible that he's not. He might be referring uh, to spiritual things. That's the third option. And this is my preferred option. You can go with whichever one you want. But my preferred option is this one. And literally I would translate it as something like this. Now concerning the stuff the Spirit does. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. Now in one way, look, this is just semantic. It doesn't really matter. Because the stuff that the Spirit does is the same whether you call it a gift, stuff, or whether it concerns people. It doesn't matter. But here's why I think it can be important. If we think of these things as gifts, immediately we think of these things as things we then possess. So if I was to give Amy a Christmas present, and let me be level with you, I hope I do. I hope I don't forget. If I was to give her this Christmas a Christmas present, she she would rightfully think that that gift was hers to then keep and possess. And she might look at that and say, wow, isn't that wonderful? But then she might see me give a gift to somebody else. Maybe Grace, our daughter, and she might say, well, actually, I prefer Grace's. She might compare one gift with another. That isn't the way it's supposed to be in the church. And the point, I think, is that we we have to stop thinking of these things, this stuff the Spirit does, as stuff that's given to us at some moment, whether salvation or when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are two different moments. Uh, We won't get into that just now. We have to stop thinking of this as stuff that's given to me that I then possess forever. And more as just some of the ways in which the Holy Spirit is working through believers in Jesus. And here's the point. We don't need to compare one person with another. Because everything that Paul lists in that list, which we're going to go into in a second, is available to every single person here. Gifts of healing. Yes. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Yes, yes, yes. Every single one of us, if we're followers of Jesus, can do the stuff written in the book. 
It isn't about spiritual superheroes who've got their degree in charismatic ministry. It is about normal, regular people being filled and inspired by the Holy Spirit and taking risks in love and seeing what the Holy Spirit does. And here's the result again. It brings glory to Jesus. And that's worth, that's worth all of it. It's not about division. And that's why Paul says, verse 4 now, join there with me. There are different kind of gifts. The same Spirit distributes them. Different kinds of service. The same Lord. Different kinds of working. All of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Same, same, same. There is a unity of origin to the manifestation of the Spirit. And there is a unity of purpose Again, to bring glory to Jesus. More than that though, verse 7, each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, is given for the common good. There is a unity of purpose. And the unity of purpose is that Jesus is praised and that the church is built up. The common good, the common good, the common good. All of these gifts are for the upbuilding of the church. And that's the tragedy about misinformation and disinformation. I believe we're at a time in church history where we need to hear the voice of God like never before. Let's go back to Bear Grylls. You know if you're hanging off a rock face by your fingernails, you need to hear an instructor speak. And if you've never been on that rock face before, there's nothing you need more than to hear the voice of God. And I don't mean, you know, reading a book by a great person or getting on YouTube. I mean, you need to, we need to hear the voice of God here, don't we? Locally. Every congregation needs to be a, 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 a stream What's that word, a spa, what's that word, a spa, like where it, a spring, thank you Tim, you can come again, a spring, a spring where new life is emerging, that's what the New Testament vision is, that there'd be the spring in the middle of every congregation and every person in that congregation and beyond in that local area could be fed. All right, I want to spend the next few minutes looking at some of these things. Some of these manifestations of the Spirit. Now, for some of you, this is just going to be so familiar. But for some of us, it's going to be new. I'm not going to say anything particularly revolutionary. But let's just go through them one by one. I'm going to focus on a couple of them, maybe more particularly. Verse 8 now. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. Firstly, a message of wisdom. A message of wisdom or uh, it's a word of wisdom perhaps. It's something, um, a message from the Spirit through you or uh, through you to someone else who needs wisdom to navigate life in some way. Now, it's not just sort of common sense. Common sense is a gift from God as well. All the way through Proverbs we're told that if you fear the Lord, you'll live a wise life. That's a good thing. God is in common sense. But there are certain moments, and I've experienced these uh, from time to time, I certainly wouldn't claim any more than that, 
where I've been in an occasion, and actually one just not so long ago, I was in a, a meeting with a friend and another friend, and one of my friends was looking for some advice, and as I was listening, I just had this phrase, which I then shared with my friend, and it brought clarity to their situation. It, it, the funny thing about the phrase that I was given is it was using language I don't normally use. It, it felt like it did drop into my mind from somewhere, and it had a weight to it, uh, Clearly, and it honestly, was just more wise than I normally am. <laughs> I think it's interesting that it emerged out of quietness. I often talk a lot, uh, but this was just a, something that dropped in. And sometimes that, that's what the message of wisdom does. It cuts through the noise, cuts through the chaos, and the Holy Spirit can just bring, in one word, clarity to stuff that you've been wrestling with for years. That's the message of wisdom. It's a wonderful message, wonderful gift. The message of knowledge or the word of knowledge, one of my personal favourites. I don't know if you can have favourites, like children, isn't it? Not meant to prefer one, but this is one of the most useful. If you like, uh, in the Bear Grylls uh, metaphor, I would say this is the one, this is like your flint that gets the fire started. You can't really go too far without this one, in my opinion. Uh, and this is when the Holy Spirit gives you something for someone else, or even for yourself, uh, but through yourself for somebody else, or for a situation or a group of people that you could only know about, uh, a factual piece of information usually that you could only know about because the Holy Spirit had given you. A wonderful example in John's Gospel. You know, John is at the well with the lady, uh, the woman at the well, and he meets this woman he's never met before. And, and, and Jesus is at the well, sorry, not John, it's in John's Gospel. Jesus is at the well. John hasn't showed up yet. Jesus is at the well. And this is a woman he's never met before. And he has this insight into this woman. And not just some sort of generic insight. He has insight into a particular situation. He says, you've been married. He says, go, you know, go and get your husband. She says, well, I can't get my husband. And he says, yeah, you're sure. You're sure right you can't. You've been married five times. And the man you're with now is not your husband. And she says to him, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. <laughs> you know, many of us think that Jesus is able to do that stuff because he's God. But actually he's not able to do that because he's God. He's able to do that because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Because Christians can do that stuff sometimes. Now I, I would agree with you. Jesus is the fully spirit-filled human. He is the example par excellence of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. However, we as Christians are able to move in this stuff. Sometimes God gives us facts or information about people. And the point of when he does that, the point is that it, it's, it's for breakthrough. What happens to this woman at the well is that uh, she and her whole town come to Jesus. Because they're like, Jesus says, go back. In other words, be an evangelist. You see the role he gives to this woman. He gets, go and be an evangelist to your town. And they hear uh, that Jesus knows information about this woman. And because they've, they've seen her life, they're like, wow, I wonder what else he knows. Well, let's go and see him. <laughs> I wonder what other dirt she, he might be able to dish on her. So they all go out to the well. And what they find at the well is not just uh, water, but living water. The purpose of this gift is breakthrough. God has used me in certain ways. Little old me in my life. This has been a gift, and uh, the, uh, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit has just moved in my life in just fairly consistently. It's never quite as rock and roll as it was with Jesus. But honestly, often when I'm praying for somebody, when I'm praying, I'm asking God, Lord, is there anything you want to reveal about this person that would encourage them? Because if they find out that you know about them through me, that will encourage them. Just the other week, I was praying for somebody at the front here of church. 
And I felt, uh, I felt to say to them, you are called to Christ. Uh, and I, I felt like God was saying that this person didn't exactly know what they were called to. And that was causing some uh, discomfort for them. And I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, they need to know they're called to Christ. And I shared that. I said, look, I don't know if this is something that you're asking. But I feel that the Holy Spirit's saying that you're asking this question and here's the answer, you're called to Christ. It turned out that person, as they were standing there, were thinking that thing. And so that was a massive encouragement for them. That's the word of knowledge. Sometimes it's very specific. Then we have faith. Now, uh, faith in one sense is just the currency of the kingdom, isn't it? We come to God through saving faith. We put our trust in Jesus. This faith, though, is, is sort of a... An extension, but a, a, an empowerment of that faith. It's like supercharged faith. There are moments when God just provides, like he puts a, a current through your ordinary faith. I'm spitting at you in the front row here. I do apologize. Uh, uh, there's a current through our faith that supercharges it. And that's this, this manifestation of faith. It's extraordinary faith to believe that the impossible is possible. And there's been moments in my life where I've had this. Actually, this isn't something I'm uh, hugely familiar with. But there was one occasion where at a staff meeting at my previous church, HDB, we were praying for a baby who was still in her mother's womb. And this baby, uh, this, this, these parents had been told by medical professionals that what they had to do with this baby is to abort the baby. That there was no conceivable chance that this baby would survive in the womb. And we were called as a, a, a a community to cry out on behalf of, of this child. And, uh, and who, the guy who was leading the meeting said, look, if, you're, if, you're, if you, have, you want to pray for the family, go and pray over there. If you want to pray uh, for the medical professionals, pray over there. But if you have faith in this moment to see uh, a healing in this baby's life, uh, then go over there, go to the back. And I did. I, I don't know where it came from. It's, that, I, that's not me necessarily normally. Uh, you know, my faith sometimes is fractured and fleeting just like yours. But in this moment, I just felt a surge. And I went to the back with another group and I just began to feel, I'm just so, even now, so moved by this story and just an urgency to pray. And I was shouting and screaming again. I can be reasonably reserved at different times. I didn't care what anyone else thought of me. I just cared that God moved in this girl's life. This girl was born and nobody thought she would ever be born. Uh, but she was born, and, and, and there were about 30 doctors in the room, you know, and, you know, the doctor said to the parents, look, just enjoy, just enjoy, they didn't, didn't think she'd breathe, or have the capacity of breathing, but they said, just enjoy this minute or two you have with your child, and, uh, you know, she's going to die, and, and five years later, she's still alive and kicking and flourishing, and she's the most wonderful, wonderful little person. Faith, the gift of faith. Extraordinary faith. Gifts of healing. Gifts of healing. Healing, just really simple. I'm going to speed up here. Healing is when God makes something or someone whole. Sometimes that's physical. And we're grateful for that. Sometimes it's emotional. You know, somebody might have an emotional wound that they need uh, help with. Maybe anxiety or depression. The Holy Spirit can work in that way. Sometimes it's a relational wound. It might be a fractured relationship. Need for reconciliation. It might be a father wound. Some kind of a core thing at the, uh, our hearts that needs to be healed before we can move on. Maybe it's uh, a spiritual healing that's required. 
Maybe there's some kind of habitual sin that's actually got a spiritual root. The Holy Spirit can heal in that way. Now notice it says these gifts of healing. It's plural. And the point is that the gift is not the thing that you receive to hand out then to others. The gift is the healing. The gift is the occasion of healing. And God, through his Holy Spirit, hands out these gifts. And we believe he's going to do that in this community. And he's going to do it more and more and more as we ask him more and more and more. Miraculous powers. Uh, uh, This is sort of an extension, I guess, of that healing. But it's, it's stuff that we don't read about all the time. But it's the raising of the dead. You know, this stuff in the developing world happens a lot. We have sort of the NHS and we live pretty buffered lives. We have car insurance and, and airbags and all these other things. But actually we see that, in, particularly in the developing world, these incredible things are happening. God is still moving in these miraculous ways. Prophecy, the next one. Prophecy is, is, is when you get a word, a picture, a scripture, a thought, a dream, some kind of phrase that's for, from the Holy Spirit. Often it drops into your head and it names somebody else's reality and as an individual or as a community. It's, sometimes prophecy is actually about seeing clearly what's happening in the present moment. And because we see clearly in the present moment, being able to name what's about to happen in the future. There's a quote here that I've got on the screen. Prophecy is a phenomenon that results directly from the access that the Holy Spirit has to our minds, whereby he can create pictures in our imagination, supernatural dreams while we're asleep. He can put words, ideas or scriptures into our heads with such force that we know there is something weighty and unforgettable going on, something that carries with it the responsibility to pass on and relay what the Holy Spirit has communicated. I've shared this before with you. I think it was in St. Barnabas days, so many of you might not have been here. But in my early 20s, well, my late teens actually, just before I had a major crisis of faith, I had a dream. And in this dream, I was driving my parents' car. And I drove this car and parked it in Manchester, where I lived at that point. And I left the car for a short period of time. And when I came back to it, uh, the bonnet was up, all the windows had been smashed, and the engine had been stolen. And I knew there was a bag in the back of the car that a friend had given me. And in the bag was a Bible that my father had given me. And I was panicking because I didn't know whether uh, the, the bag had been stolen. Very precious Bible. And I went to the back and saw that the bag was still there. The Bible was still there. However, the engine had been stolen. That was a prophetic dream. In hindsight, I see it so clearly. A warning a dream maybe or an encouragement, <laughs> uh, but that there was coming a time and it did come pretty quickly after that where the engine, the, the thing that had driven me in my life up to that point was going to be taken from me and actually I couldn't drive anywhere. Uh, spiritually that was very much the case and in fact it was the case for most of my 20s and on into my 30s, but the calling of God on my life, this bag and this Bible were going to be kept for me. An incredible dream that's just been so precious to me the other day, I was in London ministering at this uh, gathering of people, um, American pastors coming over to find out about Alpha, and, uh, and they have me come and share some of this stuff, and I just had an opportunity to, to, to share, and I just saw a couple, a young couple in the second row, something about them attracted me to them, and I don't think it was just the suntan and whatever else, you know, the, they were Americans, the white straight teeth, I don't know what else it could have been. Now, I just said, you know, sense God on them. And I didn't know fully what I was to say to them, but I knew I was to say something. So I just called them out and I said, look, I see you guys. I just want to say, and just then the Holy Spirit started to speak. And I didn't know he was speaking through me, but I just, David Shimon said this to us, didn't he? 
I just started to encourage them. And the more I encouraged them, the more prophetic stuff came. Um, And there's a connection between the prophetic and encouragement for sure. And I got a text message this week from the guy. And he just said, look, I wanted to thank you. I wanted to get in touch with you and thank you. Because you you spoke stuff into our lives that was a direct answer to questions that we had at the time. How the heck? I don't know. I didn't know what I was doing. In the moment, I had no idea whether what I was saying was complete drivel or whether it's from God. I left not knowing. No clue. It's not about me, so it doesn't matter. As long as we share these things in love, I don't have much time distinguishing between spirits. This is the ability to know what Jesus is up to and what the enemy is up to. Early on in this church, there was a sense that Amy and I carried that there was a particular spirit at work undermining the goodness of God, undermining in people's minds the question of, of whether God was good or not. And actually, that, the, our response to that is to, is to go into warfare, to pray, that God would be seen as who he is in this congregation. He is good. He's always good. Uh, and so we, we've been praying that through. Uh, sometimes we need to be aware, not just of what God is doing, but what the enemy is trying to do in a congregation, in a group of people. I think, I think what God is trying to do at the moment is to re- call us to rely on simple faith, that he is who he says he is, and that he rewards simple faith. And I think the enemy wants to undermine simple and childlike faith. Maybe to make us complex or... Uh, I, 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 I tell you this, I spent, I've spent so much of my life trying to be clever and impress people with cleverness. It's such a waste of time. It really is. I would choose spiritual authority over intellect any day of the week. It's all that matters. is that we have God's power at work in us and through us. Tongues and interpretation. We see this in our community uh, sometimes. Somebody has a, a new language. Tongues, uh, glosser is the word uh, in Greek. It literally means another language. Another language is given to them. Sometimes the language is not known. It, it's never known to the speaker. Otherwise, it's just speaking GCC French. But the point is prophecy is spoken horizontally to one another. Tongues are vertically. It's a prayer and praise to God. But sometimes that language can be, when it's done publicly, it's to be interpreted. The scripture is very clear about this because each of us must be encouraged. Now, personally, I'm with Paul. It's not, it's not the gift I'd prioritize in a corporate gathering. I'd prefer prophecy because I think everyone can be encouraged. However, when it's interpreted, there can be a, a corporate encouragement that's valuable. But actually, oftentimes, this gift is given for the upbuilding of the person spiritually who's giving it, and that's a good thing. And Paul says, never forbid the speaking in tongues. But interpretation is important, certainly in corporate gatherings, because it enables everyone to benefit. That makes sense? Okay, all right, I'm going to close with this. Why does it matter? Why do all these things matter? Why does it matter that we as the church are open, and more than open, hungry, to lay hold of these gifts? Well, partly it matters because this is supposed to be an adventure. Here's why it matters. Because God has keys that he has, that he has in his possession, which can unlock doors in this city. We don't have the keys. The Holy Spirit has the keys. And the keys, some of them are words, are prophecies, are tongues and interpretations, are miraculous deeds, are healings, 
um, messages of wisdom and messages of knowledge and all those are things. Those are some of the keys that God wants to use to unlock lives in this room and to unlock parts of this city that have been locked for generations. I want to see that. I want to see your lives unlocked. I want to see my life unlocked. I want a greater measure of adventure with Jesus. And so we as a church must become increasingly open to the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. There are three postures, broadly speaking. I close with this. We can be closed. We can, we can say, Lord, I've been burned before or I'm just uninformed. I don't want this. It sounds like being out of control. I'm not really very keen. I would humbly suggest that's, that's not a great place to stay. Secondly, we might be open. And that's better than being closed, certainly. We're open, we're willing. Lord, if this is you, I'm going to put my foot in the water. Show me. Again, that's a good place to be. It's a better place than being closed. But there is a third place that we can visit and live. And that's not just openness, but hunger. Paul says at the end of chapter 12 of this very letter, do we all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Eagerly desire. And what I want to say to you today is whether you are five years of age, there is no junior Holy Spirit. Five years of age, 50, or I just say 500, that's impossible. That's a miraculous deed, that. <laughs> we need to eagerly desire what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So why don't we stand and we're going to ask him to work in us.